Thank y'all. Good to see everybody this morning. Uh, open up to Second Peter. We're going to be back in Second Peter this morning. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Just a little bit of review. We um, first week we read through the whole letter of Second Peter. Did I say First Peter? Second Peter. Second Peter is where we're going to be. I always say First Peter. What I mean, Second Peter. Um, we read through the whole letter of Second Peter, and as Mark was saying. Peter writes this letter toward the end of his life. He, he says at the end of the first chapter that he knows that the time of putting off his body will be soon as the Lord Jesus has made it clear to him. And so his goal is to always remind his people of these things that he thinks are most important. Right? He's about to go be with the Lord. And so the things that he lists out here are some of the most important things. And I and let me just remind you, I didn't talk much about this last week. After you get through chapter 1, chapter 2, he spends most of his time talking about the false teachers that have infiltrated even the early church. And I'm not going to go through all of that today, but if you read through chapter 2, he pretty much details who these false teachers are. Uh, they deny the reality of who Jesus is. They have uncontrolled uh, passions uh, they take advantage of people who don't know any better. They don't know what they're talking about, you know. Um, they turn their back on the things that are most important. So at the center, he's reminding them of all these things that stand contrary to false teachers. And if these people had infiltrated the early church, you know, within 30 years of the beginning of things, I mean, think about where we are now. You, we are absolutely, Christianity is absolutely inundated up to the neck with false teaching. And, and something even worse than false teaching is no teaching whatsoever, right? Which some of the churches, that, I mean, y'all, I don't want to get negative, but y'all know what I'm talking about. We've all gone to churches where the guy gets up to talk and you think, I don't even know what the guy's talking about. And, and I don't even know that he knows there's such a thing as a Bible. You know what you know what I mean? And we are just we are oh gosh we are inundated. It's it's one of the things that's really been on my heart and mind in the last several years. The the crazy things that have happened that come from people that claim to be followers of the Lord Jesus, uh, especially on social media, the viciousness, the wickedness that's present, and that's really what Peter is in a sense, addressing in this. That, that, that's not who we are. If you, if you claim to know Jesus, then that's not the way we live, right? And so as we pick up today, we're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3, starting verse 3. And we're only going to make it down to about verse 6 or so, maybe. Um, we'll, we'll see how far we get in here. Nowadays, if I've got uh, 30 or 40 minutes to teach, I plan for about five minutes of teaching. And then I know that that's going to take me about 30, min 30 minutes to get through. So we'll, we'll, we'll see if my plan worked out. Um, so 2 Peter chapter, uh, chapter 1, just pick up right in verse 3. And I want to read this section to you. I want to read the whole section all the way down to verse 11 so you can have the larger context in your mind as we're going through this. So um, Peter starts there. He says, His divine power. And there in the context, he is most likely referring to uh, the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus was the last one referenced um, in verse 2. And, and it may be a conglomeration of God and Jesus our Lord. But God and Jesus our Lord are the last uh, people that are referenced in verse 2. So he picks up and he says, His divine power. 
And, and I think in this context, it is best to think of that as Jesus in one sense or the other. So His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, the personal, the deep personal knowledge of Him. We talked about that last week. Who called us um, by or to His own glory and excellence by which He has also granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these are yours and they are increasing, now look at that, if they're yours and they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the deep personal knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and choosing, for if you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. And in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a powerful passage. Right? This is, man, this is one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. And as I said as we began, Second uh, Peter, in my mind, is one of the more neglected letters in the New Testament. Um, and so today, as we get into it, we're, we're going to start to get into this list of seven qualities, seven virtues that he uh, talks about here that help us uh, to be neither ineffective nor unfruitful in our deep personal knowledge of Jesus. But before we get into that, look, look at verses 3 through 5. Uh, as I was reading through that, I hope in your mind you're thinking back to diagramming sentences from school. Right, because that sentence that Peter has there is what that very exercise was for. That is a complicated, sophisticated series of things put together, right? And so I want to take just a little bit of time to talk about that before, because before we get into this part about what we should add to, right? Peter again, like like Paul, he lays a very strong foundation in everything that the Lord has already given to us. Right? So it's, it's not like we're just doing this on our own or doing it out of the middle of nowhere. We're building on the work that God has already started in us in, in one way or another. And that's what Peter wants to emphasize here. So notice, first of all, verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And let's just stop right there with that, with that clause. His divine power, Jesus' divine power, has granted to us all the things that pertain to life and godliness uh, through, well, stop right there. Yeah, all things pertaining to life and godliness. So, first of all, what do you think that refers to? All things that pertain to life and godliness. What, it, what does that encompass? Life and godliness. Life and godliness, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty simple, right? What does life encompass? Well, that's kind of everything, right? So everything we need that, that pertains to life, 
Everything we're going to do, everything we're going to be, everything, right? All of that is that. But then also he adds this, for life and godliness. And I would suggest that these qualities he, he's going to give us, godliness is one of them. But that's the overarching picture that he has here. What has God given to us that allows us to be like him? Right? That's the basic idea here. How do we do that? How do we pursue that? So, first of all, his divine power has given us those things. W- one of the things, uh, and this is, um, you know, at, at the end of this letter, we talked about, Peter makes this reference about Paul and how, you know, Paul, our brother Paul has written to you about many of these same things. And in, in, in his letters, there are things that are difficult to understand. As I read through 2 Peter, to me it seems like Peter is um, possibly thinking about Paul's theology, and he's restating it in a little bit different terms for his audience. Because he may be thinking, you know, Paul, he really gets up there. Let me bring this thing back down a notch. You know, let, let, me, let me take it back because I know the people I'm going to be talking to. And so let me try to get it down to where they can understand. So here, Peter just talks about Jesus' divine power, right? And that's a really powerful image if you think about it. That, that's what's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Paul will often couch this in terms of, um, if I could summarize it this way, like in Romans 6, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that's been given to us to live an entirely new kind of life. Right? And we talked about this last week. If that power is available to us, then there's no such thing as I can't do that. Right? And boy, once you really realize that, it's a really terrifying idea. Right? Because, man, we, as human beings, we, we love to do two things. We love to make excuses and we love to put the blame on somebody else. Right? But there is a day coming where each and every one of us will have to stand before the Lord Jesus and give an account of how we've used our time, which is His time, right? In a body that belongs to Him, right? You do realize you do not own your body. <laughs> your body is something that's been given to you by Jesus, right? It's His. He created it. He created you. You belong to Him. And all of us are going to have to stand before Jesus and give an account of how we've used our time. And when that comes, there's nobody standing next to you to, well, you know, Jill made me. No, that's not the way that's going to work. Right? And all the apostles are, 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 are soberly aware of that reality. Right? In fact, Paul has a whole section in 2 Corinthians where he talks about this, knowing that we all have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It motivates us to want to please him in everything. Right? So, so a lot of these same ideas we see parallel in Paul but with a little bit different language. And here, the divine power, it's, it's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's Jesus' own power that He has now, right? O- over all things. And, and you think about that. Jesus speaks a word and things are done. That's pretty powerful, right? And so this, this is the thing. His power then is granted to us, right? He's given to us everything that we need for life and godliness. Well, how do we access that? That's, that's in the next clause. Through the knowledge of Him who called us. right? And there's that word knowledge that we talked about last week. It's a little bit different from the knowledge that we're going to run into in verse 5. And I made a big deal last week about this is the personal knowledge of Jesus. This is not just knowing things about Jesus. This is knowing Jesus in a very personal way. We have a deep, intimate, personal knowledge of Him. Uh, because, in part, He has sent His Holy Spirit to dwell within us. 
and he's with us 24-7, right? And so as we go through life, we've hope, we're hopefully cultivating a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. I, I think I've referenced Dallas Willard in here. He, he wrote a book back in the late, or maybe it's early 2000s, called um, the, the Divine Conspiracy. And in that book, Dallas Willard says, uh, evangelical Christianity spends a lot of time talking about having a personal relationship with Jesus and then doing absolutely nothing to help people know how to do that. Right? It's just a, it's just a jello word that we throw out. Right? We've got a personal, well, what does that mean? You know? And how do we do it? Because if I say to you, I've got a personal relationship with my wife, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right? But how do we develop a personal relationship with somebody that's not even physically in our presence? And again, this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. And this is where, you know, the spiritual side of things come into play. And we talked a lot about that last week. Uh, so I won't rebuild on that. But notice, uh, this divine power comes to us through um, the pers- deep personal knowledge of Him who called us. Uh, and then this next phrase, it's debated over how to translate this, either as by His own glory and excellence or, or to his own glory and excellence. Because of what Peter's about to say, I'd rather, I'd rather translate it as he's called us by his own glory and excellence. Right? He, he, Jesus' own glory and his own excellence, and we're going to see this word again in just a second, are the things that has motivated him to call us to himself. Right? His own glory, his own excellence. And part of that is because he is, he is calling a people to himself. Well, let me show you. Let, let me show you. Look, look at this. Turn over to 1 Peter. I, I think 1 Peter um, actually defines this for us. If, if you look over there, 1 Peter, uh, I think at chapter 2. Yeah. Um, chapter 2, just look in verse 9. 1 uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says there, uh, and y'all all know these verses. He says, now you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own pro- uh, possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see that? He has, in his own glory and excellence, he has called us to himself so that we can proclaim His excellencies. And it's the same word there. Right? His, his profound otherness. Right? His profound goodness. His profound grace. His profound beauty. Right? That's what we're meant to do. Proclaim His excellencies to everybody else. Verse 10, he says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So here, I, I think uh, I, I'd rather translate back in 2 Peter chapter 1, knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. And then a little bit later, we're going to tie that in because that's the very thing that He wants us to then exhibit in the way we live, His own glory and excellence. Now again, right? if we were trying to map this thing out, right? Uh, it is by His own glory and excellence, in verse 4 then, that He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. Right? So, so notice how this works. Uh, the divine power comes to us through the deep personal knowledge of Jesus because He's called us by His own glory and excellence. 
And in His glory and excellence, He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. See that? Very sophisticated, right? Very, very complicated stair step in there. But that's, that's also kind of the, the central thing. Um, and you ask, well, well, what promises are we talking about? Here's very great promises. We'll go back and read through the Gospels. What all did Jesus promise His people, right? He promised us life. And not only life in this life, but everlasting life, right? He promised us a share in the kingdom to come. He promised that whoever believes in Me will never die, but will live forever. That's a, that's a pretty good promise, right? He promised that if, he promised if you follow Me, you will have a wellspring of water that will well up within you so that you will never thirst again. That's a pretty good promise, right? If you follow me, death will have no hold on you. Even if you die, you will live, right? Those are pretty good, right? Those are the kind of things Peter's talking about here. So it's through those types of promises, right? That leads us to the next thing, right? So he's given those promises so that through these promises, you may become, now this is really an interesting statement, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Wow. So that we may become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, so that we can become like Jesus is. Now, Now clearly, when Peter says that, he doesn't expect that we're going to be omniscient, right? Or omnipotent, right? We're, we're, we're not going to be on that level, right? We're not, we're not going to have what the theologians call as God's incommunicable attributes. I, I've always hated that. It's, it's everything that God is that we're not, right? And also that, that we couldn't be. If we would, we would be completely God. Here, he's talking about the divine nature and the divine nature is, is clearly talking about the personality, right? It's the, it's the character of Jesus, if I could say it that way. And, and it's divine because Jesus as God, this is exactly the way He worked and thought and did what He did as a human being on planet Earth. And we're going to see that in, in the list that we have here. So here, um, we, we have these promises then. And then through these promises, we're going to become partakers of the divine nature. And I would also say that this divine nature is defined for us in verses 5, 6, and 7 that we're about to start unpacking here in just a second. And, and then this final thing, he says, uh, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And it, this is not obvious in some of the English translations, but the idea is, is that through the deep knowledge of Jesus, we have already escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire, right? In other words, he's already made it possible for us to be free from that, right? Jesus has already set us free from the corruptions that are in the world that come by the way of evil desires. And that's, you know, that's one of the, that's one of the big things that he set us free from. Because where, think about it for a minute, where are those evil desires coming from? Irv's got it, right? From the heart, our own hearts, right? Uh, the devil, all he's got to do is put us in the right opportunity where we do what we do, want to do by nature. Put ourselves first, right? Put us first, right? The, the devil will do whatever he can. His, his goal is simple, just to get you to worship anybody, anything other than the one true God. And if it's in worshiping yourself, he'll be fine with that. Right? Everybody is mistaken the idea that the devil is trying to get people to worship him. Right? 
Now, he will get you to do that as long as you don't worship the one true God. But to him, it's irrelevant. As long as you worship anything else, you can worship a rock and he'll be fine with it, right? As long as you're not worshiping the one true God. All he wants to do is see the world burn. That's it, right? That's how evil his desires have become, right? I just want to burn this whole place to the ground. And if nothing's left, that'll be fine, right? And those evil desires, you know, that's part of what's going on within us before Jesus. But one of the great things that Jesus does, right? And, and everybody always, always misses this uh, in, the, in the Gospels. Luke particularly ha- has a great development of this. When Jesus begins his ministry in Nazareth, if you remember, he gets up and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah. And it's the passage that says, The Holy Spirit uh, has anointed me to preach good news to the captives and to set the prisoners free, right? I've come to set people free, I've come to set the prisoners free. And, and, and then he immediately begins teaching. And, and at the very, uh, uh, very apex of the way Luke has organized that material, you get to the center of Jesus' teaching, and it's this. If you want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross, die to yourself, and you have to follow me. Right? That, that's... <laughs> as high as it gets right and 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 what's there if you really want to be free you have to die to yourself that's freedom to every prisoner that's ever existed if you really want to be free you have to die to yourself take up your cross and you can follow me right now that's a big ask but that's what peter's talking about here with our deep personal knowledge of jesus and the instruction that he's given us He has set us free, right? We have escaped from the evil passions that drive us to do things that are contrary to the goodness and the excellence of God. That's what we've been set free to do, right? Um, So you can see, very, very powerful uh, number of verses. In fact, I I was thinking, man, I could spend four weeks just on those uh, few, few verses there. But, but the main thing, I, main thing I want to get to and start to unpack today is how that ties in to look at verse 5. He says, so then, for this very reason. You see that? They're very important. For this very reason. Well, what reason? Well, Jesus in His divine power has given you, right, everything for life and godliness through, through the deep knowledge of Him. He's given it to us in His own glory and excellence. And in those, He's given us His very great promises um, so that we may become partakers of the divine nature, right? So, right, having that foundation laid for that very reason, make every ep- effort to supplement, look at that, to supplement your faith with virtue. Now, our excellence. And if you remember back in the very first week, we talked about the fact in verse 1, Peter talks about to those who have received a faith of equal standing as ours. We talked about how our faith has been allotted to us, has been granted to us. Peter makes a big deal about that. Paul makes a big deal about that, right? Faith is something that has, it's part of Jesus' divine empowerment. In fact, uh, I want to show you something in 1 Peter about that. If you've never, if you haven't seen this in a while, turn back to 1 Peter just for a second. Um, 1 Peter, another great introduction, very similar to some of Paul's writings, particularly Ephesians 1, chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting verse 3, 
Let's start with a little bit of context here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Now blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So God, our Father, in His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again, right? Verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. There's some of His great and most magnificent promises. There's an inheritance for us that's kept in heaven where the decay of the earth can't touch it. Right? That, that's a great idea. Now, look at verse 5. Boy, howdy, this is so good. Verse 5. You who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see that? You who by God's power are being guarded through faith. How is God's power worked out in our lives? Through faith. You follow me? Faith is not something that you initiate and sustain by your own power. That's something that God does to you. Does to and through you. Now, we cooperate in that. There's no doubt about it. Right? There's, you know, it's, to me, it's like, um, it's like having an engine in a car, right? We know that the gasoline is providing the power, but without the engine, nothing would work, right? So there, there's, there's clearly a cooperation in this. But in the foundation of that, it's God's power that's being worked out in us through our faith. And that faith is protecting us for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, when our salvation is completed, Right, You and I are in the process of being saved and it won't be completed until we see Jesus face to face. And until we get there, God is empowering our faith to make sure we're going to get there. Right, so, so Peter has this extreme idea that our faith has been granted to us, right, allotted to us as we talked about. And if that's true, then on top of that faith, we need to start adding these other qualities. Back in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. To your faith add excellence or supply excellence supplement your faith with excellence uh, and that word is the exact same word that peter used uh, at the end of verse three to talk about jesus uh, who has called us by his own glory and excellence the same word right and and i'd rather translate it as excellence rather than uh, virtue uh, some have goodness here i think the word excellence, I think, communicates more powerfully what's going on here, right? Because when you think about things that are excellent, you think about things that are done as best they can possibly be done, right? The pursuit of excellence. That, that's, that's very key. Look over, uh, really interesting, several of these words that Peter uses are fairly rare in the New Testament, only showing up a handful of times, and this is one of them. This shows up very rarely. In fact, it's only in 2 Peter and in one other verse, um, Philippians 4. If y'all can turn there, uh, or I'll, I'll read it to you. Y'all know this passage. Probably some of you have probably um, memorized it before. It's in uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And actually, I think that this whole passage defines what this word excellence is here. Uh, Philippians 4, 8. He says, finally, brothers... Whatever is true, 
Whatever is honorable. Remember this passage? A lot of you probably memorize it. Whatever is uh, honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, there it is. If there is anything that's worthy of praise, think about these things. There we go. There, there's a context for excellence. Excellence is something that's worthy of praise. One, um, one commentator that I read said that, that this word means the positive pursuit of the best in everything. Right? The positive pursuit of the best. This is not something that just happens on its own. This is something that we have to strive to do. Right? Be excellent. And I would suggest that this is one of the first things that is tanked in our culture. The pursuit of excellence in all things. Right? When, when was the last time you had somebody do something and you thought, well, I think I could have done a better job. Right? That's not excellence. That's not it, right? And I want you to notice this. I, I, think about this. Think about this list of things that, that Peter has given to us here, right? And, and, and I would hope that, um, that I would encourage you to memorize this list, right? There's seven things. Excellence. Supplement excellence with knowledge and your knowledge. Um, self-control. Right? Self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection with love. Unselfish love, right? Now, now, clearly, he's making a progression here because he repeats one and then adds to it, repeats the, and adds to it. You follow what I'm saying? In fact, one of the, one of the things I do when I'm looking at commentaries of first, uh, Second Peter, I open up to this passage and see how the commentator deals with it. And m- many of them uh, say something like this. Uh, in this list of virtues that Peter has here, there's probably not any rhyme or reason to it. These are just the things that came to Peter when he was writing. And I close up the book and say, this guy's an idiot, and I'm going to move on to the next one, right? Because it's clear in the grammar that he structured this together. To excellence, add knowledge. And to knowledge, add, right? Self-control. And self-control, add steadfastness. I mean, if, if I were to ask a, a young child, is there any order to that? They would say, well, yeah. That's clearly order in that, right? Because he's building one on, like a stair step. Building one on top of the other. Now, now think about this. If that's true, why is excellence the first on the list? Why is the pursuit of excellence first on this list? That's kind of an interesting one. And it's even a weird word. Word that one doesn't show up uh, in the New Testament very much. But it's the one word that he used to define Jesus a little bit earlier. Jesus' own glory and excellence. If Jesus did anything, do you think he always pursued it with excellence? Or do you think he got up there some days and said, you know, boys, that's, I don't know. I'm about halfway through the Sermon on the Mount. That's good enough. Let's go on, right? No, he's pursuing excellence in everything that he does, right? And, and this is why I think it's first on the list. If, if your goal is not to pursue excellence in everything, there's no way you're going to make it to the point where you're going to be unselfishly loving other people like Jesus loved you. If you're not pursuing excellence, you're not going to have the pursuit of knowledge in the right way. Right? And, and, and this is what everybody that's honest about guys that go to seminary, if you get through a seminary and you don't look back on it and you don't realize that you were probably at first motivated out of your own self-interest and wanting to everybody to think you're smart and you got a degree and you're, then you've missed something somewhere, right? Because that's, you know, 
that's usually where guys come from, right? And then you realize, oh, wait a minute, maybe I didn't have the right motivations in that, right? And then you got to go back to the point of excellence. I remember I had a, in Hebrew class, um, there was a guy that was in there and he, um, he had copied somebody else's paper. He, we were writing a Hebrew exegetical paper and he had gotten the paper that was done years ago and just turned that in as his own. And my Hebrew professor went over and had him expelled from the seminary that same day. And he said, if this, this guy does not pursue excellence in the small things and he cheats in the small things, he's going to cheat in the big things too. And I'm not going to put my uh, stamp of approval on him. So we're going to turn him over to the world for a little bit and see if he can be corrected, right? And I remember, oh man, and the teacher was livid. I mean, he was livid, you know. Uh, and I thought, that's a big deal, right? The pursuit of excellence. If we're not pursuing excellence in everything, we're not going to get to these other things, right? The, the, the second word that he has there, knowledge. Now, th- this is different. Uh, this is a different no- a word from the knowledge that we had earlier that we've talked about last week, right? The, the deep personal knowledge of Jesus. This is just the word for knowledge, knowing things, right? This is, this is uh, coming to know things as they are, knowing truth. This is, this is just studying the Scriptures, just knowing what we need to know, right? The basic truths, basic facts and information. Again, in that list that I just read from Philippians 4, what did, what did Paul start with? Whatever is true. Whatever is honorable, right? That's what, that's what Peter's touching on here. Uh, we need to have knowledge of the Word of God, right? And this is why it's so important to be reading the Word. Reading the Word, right? Understanding what's there. Gaining knowledge of it. And... and and, and knowledge here is not, again, not just not knowing about it, but knowing what's going on with it, right? Understanding the Word, right? It's part of what we want to bring into it. We were, I was at a church years ago, and there was a lady there that, uh, this is one of the saddest statements I've ever had said to me in my entire life. Uh, there was a lady there, she had uh, read through the Bible, the complete Bible, every year for something like eight years at that point. You know, she, had, she, she was a little bit older lady, and... Um, she had said, you know, in the years I've left, I, I want to read through the Bible every year. And somebody told me about it. And I went up to her and I said, Miss So-and-so, I heard this is the eighth year you've read through the whole Bible. Uh, she said, yeah, honey, but don't let that impress you. I don't understand half of what I read. You know? And I said, well, but I said, ma'am, just keep at it. Just keep at it, right? And get in some Bible studies and whatever, right? And I thought, ah, it's so sad, you know? And, and, and I, yeah, I... Give her credit. You know, you get in the Old Testament and you hit Ecclesiastes, and if you feel like you know what's going on, there's something wrong with your brain. Something's misfired in your medulla oblongata. Because anybody that's that book and thinks they know what's going on, you got nothing coming, right? Uh, but, you know, so I understand that. But, but, but in the larger context, I thought, here's a lady who spent most of her life in church, and she still feels like she doesn't know what's going on in a great majority of the scriptures. What does that mean? That means on our report card, we failed as a church. We failed as a church, right? And, and, and it didn't happen here. I'm not talking about first event. I'm talking about the church in general, the church in the West. Uh, as, a, as a good friend of mine says, we are now living in the golden age of biblical ignorance. And he's talking about people in the church, right? It takes work to get to the knowledge of God. Every year that I study and teach another course on something, the, the thing that becomes just highlighted to me more than anything else is how much there is yet to know, right? How much knowledge there is yet to be gained. 
Speaking of Ecclesiastes, of the making of many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness to the soul, right? So in those, it's hard. But, but knowledge, right? We need to have some knowledge. We need to know what Jesus is about. We know what God is about. So, so that one's fairly easy. And I'm going to end with the, these last two. I'm just going to mention them and move on because I hate these on the list. Number three, self-control. Wow, oh, come on, Peter. Really? You just got to throw that in there? Uh, self-control, This and again, this is interesting because that one word is in contrast to the way Peter defines these uh, false teachers in chapter 2. These are people who have no self-control. They manipulate others. They're driven by their passions. They're driven by their desires. They want money. They want women. They want, you know, they want all the luxuries of life, and nothing can hold them back. Here, uh, self-control is, is talking about our restraint. And as you know, it's, it's also on the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, uh, as Paul mentions. And again, this is just the idea that we're able to bring ourselves under control so that we're not like, as Peter says a little bit later about these false teachers, we're not like unreasoning animals that are just you know, off the chain and nobody can control them. We actually have the power to, 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 to draw in our passions. We have the power that Jesus has given to us to control ourselves, right? Not to always do what <laughs> the sin that still lives within us often draws us to do, right? We have the ability. Well, this one's harder, right? James talks about if you can tame your tongue, woo, then everything else is going to fall in place. Tame is a, the tongue is an unquenchable fire. It'll set everything ablaze, right? And if you can control what you're saying, then everything else will fall into place, right? So self-control, really, really powerful. Um, and then the last thing, I'll talk a little bit more about these last week. Uh, it's not enough just to have self-control, but we have to have steadfastness. I, I, I love that word, steadfastness. Some have patience here. Patience doesn't even get close to it. What is it? This, this is talking about endurance. This is talking about steadfastness. This is talking about sticking to something when everything in you tells you to quit and go home. That's what steadfastness is. This is what Jesus exhibited for us. In fact, this word is used of Jesus quite a bit. Remember the Lord's endurance. Remember Jesus' steadfastness. Remember His love. And, 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 and uh, 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 what's the other word? It just slipped out of my head. Another word like steadfastness. But it's applied to Jesus, right? And so this is, this is keeping at something, right? Stay in the course. And this is one of the main things we're, we're called to do as believers. Mark, Mark was taught you long suffering is another good one. That's what I was trying to think of. Long, and I love that one. It, perseverance is another one, right? It's, it's, it's keeping at it, right? Patience, let me just say something about right, right? Patience is when your kids are acting up and you want to kill them and throw them out in the backyard, right? And, and, you, and you just have to endure that for about a minute and it's going to be okay, right? Endurance is this when you're faced with something and you feel like you want to give up, right? This is, this is when you're faced with something and you really want to do it. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Take this hour away from me. But what does he do? He's steadfast, right? And he says in John, you know, I, it was for this very hour that I came into the world. And he doesn't walk away from it, right? He gives us an example of it. Uh, another great example is how he puts up with you and me every day, right? Steadfastness. He's constantly interceding for us. He is waiting for the day when we're finally in his presence. He is not celebrating, right? In the Lord's Supper, 
And one of the last things he says to the disciples is, I'm not going to drink from the fruit of the vine until we all drink it new in the kingdom. What, what does that mean? We're not having a party until we all get together again. It's an awesome idea. And Jesus is persevering in that right now in heaven. He's steadfast. He doesn't give up. He calls us to do the same thing, right? And notice, notice that list then, right? So we practice excellence. How do we become more excellent at, at things? You got, have to have more knowledge about it, right? And as your knowledge builds, uh, you want to practice self-control and all that. Because if you're pursuing excellence and you're adding knowledge, you can get puffed up in your head and thinking you got it all figured out. Well, that's where self-control comes in. And it's not enough just to have a little self-control. You've got to persevere in it. You've got to be steadfast in it in order to get to these latter things, godliness, brotherly affection, and unselfish love, right? To finish these out. If you can't do those four things, you're definitely not going to get to the last three here, right? So you can see how Peter builds this up in a stair step. And y'all, we're right at time. I'm going to stop there. Next week, I'll come back and we'll talk about these, these final verses here to finish out this list. And uh, again, talk a little bit how he concludes it, because I think the way he concludes it is very, very powerful, uh, because this is the way, uh, as Peter says, that if these are yours and they're increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. And if you practice these things, uh, an entrance into the eternal kingdom will be richly provided for you. So really, really strong conclusion. Uh, Over the week, I would encourage you to memorize these seven things just so you can call them back in your mind. It's amazing how that'll work for you. Uh, like I said, one of my mentors encouraged me to do that years ago. And there's not a week that goes by that I just think about these things in my mind and think about, okay, am I, am I really pursuing these things? You know, am I really doing these things? Simple list. As I said, it's not rocket surgery. Anybody can do this. You can think about it. And then say, Lord, I know you've empowered me to do these things. All right, y'all, let me pray for us. A little bit over. Let me pray for us. We'll turn loose here. Father, thank you again for the opportunities we have to come together and study your word. And um, we know it's a rich treasure trove. We're, We're only scratching the surface of what's been revealed to us as we get together to study. And even in this, in this short passage in 2 Peter, uh, Peter says so much that we could meditate on and ruminate on uh, from now until we see you face to face. And Lord, we want to do that, but also we want to get the things that are most important for us to understand so that we can apply them to our lives. And Lord, um, I am convinced that what our world needs more than anything else is not just believers who say they believe in Jesus, but believers who live their life exhibiting the character of Jesus, His excellence, His knowledge. Um, All the things, all these seven qualities that point us to Him and give give a taste of who He is. Because as we do that, we're both proclaiming His excellence but also uh, showing who He is to people who um, really need to know Him in a deep personal way the way we do. And so, Father, we we pray that You would uh, keep us mindful of how You've empowered us to do this very thing and that we would be able to do it with grace uh, and goodness uh, so that we can shine as lights in the midst of a dark and twisted generation. And we ask all this for Jesus' great name's sake. Amen.